Last Sunday we did the first first half of the first half of the chapter. So just to set the context, Jesus has sent out 70, 72 of his disciples. He sent them out ahead of him to prepare the way for him. Uh, just to go back to the beginning of the chapter, he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He says, uh, verse eight, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them that the kingdom of God is near you. So the 70 have gone off and done that. And we pick up in verse uh, 17 as they return. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Father is except no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Word of prayer before we continue. Father, thank you. Thank you again for your words. Thank you that you're a God of revelation. Thank you that you're a God who speaks. We pray this morning that you would speak once again by your Holy Spirit. And that our hearts and minds would be attentive to your voice. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, once again, just um, I, I, I hope that you're enjoying our, our studies in in Luke. I am. I'm loving them, and I'm loving my sort of um, you know the, the week that I spend in in preparation because I mean there's just there is so much. It's so it's so rich. There's so much to encourage us and inspire us. And once again, this morning there is there's just so much to to unpack from these verses. So I'll stop waffling and crack on. Uh, but, but it's just it's just so rich it's just so it's just so exciting I, I hope you get excited when we read the word of God it's such a joy because God speaks the 72 returned with joy and said Lord even the demons submit to us in your name they are you know they're rejoicing that's what the Lord has sent them out to do he has delegated to them as he delegates to us uh, power and authority to to show people what the kingdom of God looks like, what it looks like when the king is in charge, when he's reigning, when Jesus is on his throne. This is what it looks like. Um, this is what we're looking forward to in heaven. We're looking forward to perfection in heaven. We're looking forward to the kingdom of God being complete and full. And Jesus sends out his disciples to begin to show people what that looks like. And so you know they are they are amazed at the things that they see themselves doing things that they never imagined that they would be able to do and so they come back 
rejoicing. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. When we speak in your name, demons flee. It's just the most wonderful thing that God gives us, this delegates to us, this power and authority. But there is a danger that comes with that. And the danger is that we become proud. The danger is that we think, wow, I'm, I'm doing this stuff. Look what I'm doing. It's one of the, the greatest dangers for Christians, one of the greatest dangers for Christian leaders, and one of the greatest dangers for Christians who, uh, who learn to exercise the gifts of the Spirit is that we become puffed up with pride and we think, I'm doing this. Uh, remember, um, a few weeks ago in a previous passage, we were um, thinking about uh, sitting lightly to material things, sitting lightly to the things of this world. And um, uh, we went, went to a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where um, Moses is preparing the people to enter into the promised land. And God says through him, always remember where what you have, where it comes from. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 17 The Lord says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I've done it on my own. This is about me. But remember, the Lord your God, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. There's a similar kind of thing going on here, that the disciples have come back and they're really excited about what they are seeing. They're really excited about the kingdom of God that is coming as they speak in the name of Jesus. And these verses, verses 18 to 20, are, they're really, they're a warning that they don't make the mistake of thinking this is, this is about something that they can do on their own. They're exercising the power and authority of God. Verse 18 says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So verse 18, what's he going on about? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now there may be the kind of um, an immediacy about it that Jesus knows what they're doing. And he knows that they're going ahead of him and that they are healing the sick and casting out demons. They are demolishing the kingdom of darkness. They're demolishing the dominion of darkness. And it may be that in that... He sees what they're doing and he sees actually Satan's kingdom is, you know, is being pulled down. And that's why he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But actually in the context, it is more, I think, about them not losing perspective and them remembering that they are, you know, they are servants of the, of the king of kings. Jesus is saying, I remember what happened to Satan. I remember how he fell. I remember what happened to the devil. The devil fell because of pride. If we go back to, um, the Bible doesn't say a huge amount about the devil because it's not about a book about him, it's a book about Jesus. It's a book about good news, but we get glimpses. And we get a glimpse in Isaiah chapter 14, uh, verse 12, uh, where we read this. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. 
But you were brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. The devil didn't start off as the devil. The devil started off as a, as a chief angel who became proud and who wanted to make himself more than God and fell, fell from heaven. I think that's what Jesus is saying. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven because he became proud and because he wanted to make himself more than God. It is the, it's one of the greatest dangers that we can ever fall into is to want to be more than God. And there's a message here about always remembering that actually we are, you know, we're, we are servants of the living God. He delegates to us power and authority. I love, um, I love the Apostle Paul's humility in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where he's introducing himself, or not introducing himself, but uh, talking to the church about, about how he came to them. And Paul, who was perhaps the greatest evangelist in, you know, greatest evangelist in history, says, well, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. Uh, I came in weakness and fear with much trembling. My, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. And you kind of think, that's what Paul was all about. He was all about wise and persuasive words. That was his USP. He says, no, I, I, I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul never loses sight of the fact that he's a servant of the living God. That he's able to do extraordinary things. Because of his relationship with the Lord Jesus. And it's just something we have to be aware of. That we don't become proud. And when we exercise the gifts of the spirit. We remember uh, who has given them to us. And why we're able to exercise them. Uh, it's one of the, um, uh, the great tragedies of the culture that we live in at the moment. That our, our culture seeks to usurp God from his throne. It's the overriding narrative of the culture in which we live, is that our culture says to us that we should be our own God. And that's the prevailing narrative, and it never, it never ends well. For Christians, it doesn't end well when we become proud, and for a culture, it doesn't end well when we try to usurp God. So verse 20, he says, don't rejoice that the Spirit submits you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's so important that we keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is a message of salvation through Jesus Christ. He is the only way to the Father. And as a church and as Christians, ultimately, that is what we are all about. We are all about proclaiming a message of salvation. I remember um, many years ago now, there was, um, there was a fire in a plane. Uh, it wasn't airborne, it was on the ground. So fire, fire broke out, the cabin became filled with smoke, and lots of people on the plane died unnecessarily. And in the investigation afterwards, they, they realised that lots of people had died uh, because in the smoke they couldn't find their way out. And so they couldn't get to the exit, and so they, they perished. And so that's why now, when you fly on a plane, uh, there are little lighted strips along the floor with arrows that point you to the way out. They, those were introduced after this tragedy, because they realised people couldn't find their way out. So now, if there's ever you know, a fire on a plane, you get down on your hands and knees where the air is cleaner, and you follow the arrows, and they take you to the exit. And that's the purpose of them. They take you to the exit. They take you to a place of safety. If you just, you know, if you sit in your seat and just look at the lights and think, oh, they're pretty, 
That is not going to help you because that's not their purpose. Their purpose is to show you the way out. And the, the signs of the kingdom that we see and the signs of the kingdom that the disciples were seeing as Jesus sent them out ahead of him and they cast out demons and they healed the sick and they announced that the kingdom was coming. Those things were signs that were pointing people to Jesus and pointing people to the kingdom of God. That's their purpose. And so we should expect to exercise the gift of the Spirit. We should expect to hear from God and have words of wisdom and words of knowledge for one another. We should expect to pray for the sick and to see them get well. We should expect to have authority over over evil because those are signs of God's kingdom. But they are signposts that point to the king. They point to Jesus. And if all you ever do is look at the signs and never find your way to the exit... Then you've missed the point. Keep the main thing, the main thing. I was um, listening to a couple of things on the, listening to the radio uh, on Monday when I was, I, was, I was coming back home. And there was, um, there was a guy speaking about things that have changed in the last few years. And he just made this comment that stuck in my mind. He said, uh, and he, he was, uh, I think he was, he was in the government or had been in the government. And he just said, the house of God has become the house of good. So the house of God has become the house of good. You know, I think he was sort of talking about things that are uh, kind of helping in society. House of God, and that stuck in my mind. And then a few days later, somebody pointed me to an article in, uh, it was in The Guardian. And it was an article about a church, uh, I can't remember the name, it was somewhere up in the north. And ten years ago, this church was set to close. It was a huge Victorian barn uh, in, a, in a city. And it had, the congregation had dwindled to almost nothing. And so it was, it was facing closure because it was a huge building, uh, very few people worshipping in it. Now, 10 years on, it is a thriving hub of the community. Uh, there are loads of things going on it. There's, you know, there's a food bank, there's a, I think a debt advice centre, there's a, uh, you know, a, a nursery. I mean, just loads of things just buzzing with activity. And so I was listening to these things and I was thinking, that is fantastic. That is really good, but there's a danger. And the danger is this, that actually we, we can do all of those things and forget the main thing. And actually the main thing is getting people to the exit so they can escape from, you know, they can escape the judgment of God. Because ultimately we are all going to sit under the judgment of God. And actually, all of those wonderful things that this church is, I don't decry them for a moment because they are fantastic. They are fantastic things. They're wonderful things to be doing. They're things that we should be doing. But it's not the main thing. The main thing is the good news of Jesus. Who saves? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And, and the thing is, in our... You know, in our culture at the moment, that is so resistant to the good news of Jesus. The temptation is to do the easy thing and the popular thing and the thing that our society loves. Because all of that stuff, you know, debt advice centres and food banks and, you know, society, we, society loves that. Those are good things to be doing. We like that you do that. What our culture doesn't like is when we say Jesus is the only way to the Father. That's offensive. I don't know if you know... Um, there's a, there's, a, there's a hate crime bill going through the Scottish Parliament. It's been 
going through the Scottish Parliament over the last year or so, and it keeps being it keeps being challenged. And um, but because it's it's quite it's it's sort of badly worded and it's quite loose. And so if it if it does come into law in the way that it's phrased at the moment, it will lead to real limitations on on free speech. And a, a few months ago, I was reading there's. Um, uh, an atheist in Scotland who is waiting for the hate crime bill to come in because he then thinks he will be able to make a challenge using the hate crime bill to have the Bible banned because it promotes hate. That's how it is, that's how it is perceived. That's how our culture perceives what we would think of as the good news of God and the good news of Jesus. So it is increasingly challenging to proclaim the good news of Jesus. It is much easier to do the things that our society loves. But that's not what we're about, ultimately. The main thing Jesus says is, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the one thing to rejoice in. And how do you get your name written in heaven? By accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not popular. Our society does not does not like it and increasingly won't tolerate it. But we don't say it because it's popular, we say it because it's what Jesus said. And we say it because it's the heart of the gospel. Rejoice that your names are in heaven. So we look for and we rejoice, we do rejoice in the signs of God's kingdom because they point us towards the fact that there's good news to come. Point us to the fact that Jesus is going to return, that these little glimpses that we see of the kingdom of God, one day we're going to see the whole thing. We're going to see the whole thing and it's going to be amazing. And it's Jesus who gets us there. So let's you know, celebrate the fact and look for the signs that we see. But remember their signs. They're pointing us to the exit. They're pointing us to the door that is Jesus. Verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. It's just such a wonderful, lovely thing that, and the tragic thing that the people, that the guardians of the law, the guardians of the Torah, the guardians of God's people, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the ones who, who were waiting for the Messiah, completely miss it. They don't see it. And it's the tax collectors and the fishermen and the lepers and the prostitutes and the riffraff who, who work it out, who get to see it. Because I think God, God doesn't reveal himself to people, um, to status or position. He reveals himself to people who are hungry. He reveals himself to people who are hungry, who, who aren't self-righteous, who know that they uh, need him. Who know that they need him. Who know that they're frail. Who know that they're broken. God loves uh, the humble. Uh, you know, when you read through the Bible, what you see time and time again, the people that God chooses to be leaders are the ones who don't think they can do it. You know, Moses, Saul, uh, David, I mean, over and over again, Gideon. Every time God calls them, they say, you've got the wrong person. I can't do this. And God says, no, you're exactly the right person because you know you can't do it. And you know that when you do do it, it'll be because I was with you. It's just beautiful that that's the way that it works. Uh, so often we, you know, we, we forget that. We get so wrapped up in status and, and position and, 
And God loves, he loves the humble in heart. And they're the ones who work out who he is. All things have been committed to me by my, by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Again, it's one verse, but it's, it's so rich. It's so beautiful because it tells us that God wants us to know who he is. God wants us to know who he is. God chooses to reveal himself to us. So many religions and so many religious systems are all about doing stuff in the hope that one day you might get to find out who God is. Some religions are, well, you do all of this stuff and you still might not know who God is. But you've got to work hard. Uh, some religions have, had, have a sacrificial system and the idea of the sacrificial system is that you offer sacrifices to appease God, to keep him happy so that he won't smite you off the face of the earth or he won't zap you. You, you offer a sacrifice to, to keep an angry God happy. And that's not our faith. That's not what we believe. We believe in a God who reveals himself and basically says, ta-da, here I am. Come and meet me. That's what God does in Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the fullness of God. God is not hiding himself so we can't find him. God reveals himself and says, I want to know you because I love you. The sacrificial system that the Jews had in the Old Testament, it is not a sacrificial system about appeasing an angry God and trying to keep him on side. It is about keeping in relationship with him. God says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I want you to know me. And this sacrificial system that I'm putting in place is about keeping in good relationship with me. Because ultimately, that's why Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus doesn't die on a cross to appease an angry God. He goes to the cross in order once and for all to make possible our relationship with the God who loves us. It's just so beautiful that that's what God does. That's what he wants. He's made himself known so that we can know him. Then verse 23, he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Again, just a, just a wonderful thing. The, you know, the Prophets and kings have been waiting for hundreds of years. They've been looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of a saviour. They've been waiting hundreds of years for this great build-up to the arrival of this great king that they're looking forward to. The arrival of God himself stepping into history to put right all the things that have gone wrong. God putting, stepping in to put right injustice to get rid of evil and wickedness. That's what they've been looking forward to. And Jesus says, you don't need to look anymore because I'm here. You don't need to look anymore. There's nothing else to wait for. That that you were looking for, anticipating, expecting, longing for. You're looking at him. What an amazing thing that, you know, I, I know you um, 
you know, things that we long for and we wait for in our lives and, and we get so frustrated that they haven't come and the people of God have been waiting hundreds of years and Jesus says, look no further, I'm here. I'm here. Again, so many religious systems are still anticipating something that is yet to come. And Jesus says, no, I am, I am the fullness of God. If you've met me, you've met God. If you welcome me, you're welcoming God. If you follow me, you're following God. There's, there's nothing else left to anticipate. I am I'm the real deal. I am it. So in, in our lives today, as we look to the future, uh, what is it that we are, what is it that we're, we're longing for in the future? What is it that we're thinking, well, if only this would happen, then my life would be fulfilled. If only this would happen, then I would, I would be at peace. If only this would happen, then I would have, I'd have enough. If, if this would happen, then everything would be okay. So often, so often we do that. We feel dissatisfied. We feel frustrated. We feel unfulfilled. And we think, well, if only, if only this would happen, everything would be okay. Well, what Jesus says to us is he says, well, you don't need to look forward to anything that isn't already here. Because everything that you need is right in front of you. Because everything that you need can be found in relationship with me, with the Lord Jesus. Everything that you need, that you long for in your life, will be found when you find peace with God. And you'll find peace with God through me, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us. He calls us into relationship with a heavenly father. That's the main thing. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So this morning, do you know that your name is written in heaven? Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ? It's as simple as that. Believe in the Lord Jesus, receive him into your life and your name is written in heaven. That's the main thing. Do you know that that is true? And if you do know that it is true, then the purpose of your life is to make him known to others and to allow him to use you to make him known to others through the way that you live, through the love that you share, through the gifts of the spirit that you exercise. That's what we are all about as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what the church is here for, to make known the goodness of God. So let's pray. Let's pray that he may um, equip us. We're going to take a few moments.